Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Maria Taylor, an ESPN and SEC analyst. Hey everyone, it's Maria Taylor here, and you're getting ready for a journalism class for Ernie Johnson. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but he has been dope enough to invite some of his colleagues, peers, coworkers to share with you students what it's like to work in journalism. So let me know what you want to hear. Uh, let me know what you've been wondering, and I'll, ask, I'll answer them, anything you got. So if you want to know my story, I'm going to take you back to Alpharetta, Georgia. Um, a lot of people knew me as a volleyball and a basketball player. But to be honest, when I got to the University of Georgia, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So if there's any student that's out there who has absolutely no clue where they want to end up, say you're a freshman, say you're a sophomore, I didn't know until my junior year um, what I wanted to do. Hanging on to that question, how to prepare for a football game. I didn't decide until I went to a journalism class with one of my best friends who was also my volleyball teammate. Her name was Angelica Partridge, and that was my junior year of college. So that's when I went ahead and applied to Grady, um, got in the next semester, and Grady is the journalism school at the University of Georgia. So it took me a while to get there, but finally it happened. Um, I would say the biggest thing while you're in school is it's okay to take different classes and figure out what your passions are and not feeling as though there's one thing that you have to do because everyone says you should. So when I first got to school, I felt as though I had to go and be a doctor because that seemed like a very prestigious thing to do. I played volleyball and basketball, so I set my sights on becoming a team doctor. I took biology. And um, as you guys know, that's a tough subject. I didn't do very well in it and I didn't like it and realized that I needed to re-rack and try again. So then I changed my major to business and uh, took accounting. That is also a very difficult subject that I didn't like. And I just realized that I was trying to please a lot of different people, please others and not actually do what I felt would be best for my strengths and what would be best for me. And that's how I ultimately came to journalism. Um, I've enjoyed it ever since. And I guess now we'll go over some of the best practices that I've learned along the way. I saw that someone asked me, what's the best way to prepare for football games? So first, I want to take you to my first ever football game, which was a high school football game in Georgia. Um, it was at, I believe it was Grayson High School. And I didn't know anything. So I said yes, that I'll work a high school football game. But to be honest, I didn't really know what a sideline reporter did for football. I showed up at the game and I remember the producer coming over to me and saying, all right, Maria, we're going to come to you before kick and you'll give a report. And I was like, a report on what? What am I supposed to report on? And that's how I found out that, you know, reporters have pre-kick or pre-kick um, interviews, pre-kick reports or interviews. And the first time that I did one, I remember running up to the head coach of one of the schools and just being like, hey, can you um, just tell me about your quarterback? And then I reported on the quarterback. And that's literally my first ever report. And I didn't know what I was doing. I remember I was working for Comcast Sports South. And so we didn't... Um, we didn't have regular mics, so everything was fully wired. Nothing was wireless. So if I wanted to interview one coach, I had to use the wired mic on one side of the field and then run to the other side for the wired mic that was on the other side of the field. 
Um, but those are days that I learned a lot. You actually couldn't do a lot of research online. So you had to call players. You had to find parents. You had to find teachers. Um, that was a lot that went into it. And that's helped me when I've gotten to my college game. So as I'm preparing for a Saturday prime game, basically what I end up doing is on Monday, we find out maybe on Sunday, Monday, I'm reaching out to all the sports information directors. We call them SIDs. And there's one for every single school. They work in football. They work in basketball. It's kind of be the liaison to the, from the media, to their players, to their program, to their coaches. And I'll reach out to them and say, hey, I want to talk to these five players. And basically their reaction is gonna be, okay, here are the times that they can call you, here are the times that you can get in touch with them. And I spend the week just touching base with a lot of different players. Sometimes I go and have conversations with moms and dads. I try to get pictures and tell stories, because as you guys know, the more that we know about the player, not just as the athlete on the field, really is uh, how we're gonna enjoy them and learn more about their career over the course of time. And if you're working in college football, you know we have those players for three to four years. So it's fun to watch them grow and tell their stories. And as it pertains to maybe talking about NBA countdown, it's a little different. So if I'm not sideline reporting and I'm hosting, the most important thing is worrying about the rundown, having really, really good conversations with all of the um, analysts that I'm working with. So if you're sitting on the desk, I need to know what Jalen thinks about X, Y, and Z. I need to know what Jay Will thinks. I need to know what Paul Pierce thinks so that we can get into conversations about exactly what they want to talk about. And then I need to have nuggets to wrap up the conversation so I can move us into a different direction. Um, I saw that someone said, how can you start getting experience early in sports broadcasting? And although I didn't personally do this, I think it's important for you guys to find ways to get involved with whatever programs are on campus. So if you're at a small school and you don't have a football team, that's totally fine. Maybe you have a great soccer team. Maybe you have a great women's track team. I would say go and decide to be the reporter for that team. Go and volunteer your time um, to be work with the sports information department at the school that you're at. There's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. And I know that if you work at, or if you're in school at ACC or SEC schools, obviously there's the SEC network. Obviously there's the ACC network. And think about how many games are on TV. So that means there's volleyball matches on TV. There's gymnastics meets on TV and they need someone to run those cables. Uh, they need someone to be utility and that could be you. So these are great opportunities. And honestly, we didn't have that when I was in school. So I think it'd be awesome if you just get online, go on your athletic association's website, pull up all of the emails from the athletic association, find the people who work in sports communication and have conversations um, with them about ways that you can get more involved. The last question I just saw was, do you ever get nervous? being on air. Absolutely. I get nervous all the time. In fact, we just did the virtual draft and I was fully nervous because I was thinking to myself, this is something that I've never done before. Every time I do something new, I feel a little bit nervous. So it's a virtual draft. So that felt different to me, even though I did the draft last year and we did it on ABC and everything. I just felt as though you didn't really know what was coming. I didn't understand, you know, how are the interviews going to take place and what happens if a feed goes out and X, Y, Z. And it doesn't matter how many years I've been doing this. I always describe it as a roller coaster where you hop on, you expect to have so much fun. And then you get to the top of the hill right before the red light comes on. And you're like, how did I get here? What am I doing? 
feeling. And as soon as the ride starts, you feel comfortable again. So I always have butterflies right before kickoff or when the flyover is happening or during the national anthem. It's usually a time when I take a deep breath to calm the nerves and just remember and remind, remind myself that I've been here before and to ultimately stay confident. How do you build lasting relationships in the industry? That's a great question because sports journalism is a small group. So that means that as you're making your reputation, even when you're super young, that reputation can follow you all throughout your career. So I always say that it's important to treat the camera guy and the utility guy the same way that you're going to treat you know, your co-host or a coach that you're working with. The best way to build good relationships is to check up on people. Um, even if you're out of sight and out of mind, maybe it's just you're not asking for anything. You're just saying, hey, I was thinking about you today. Have you seen this article about XYZ made me think of you? That's a great way to, to build relationships. I know for me, when I'm working with players or different um, coaches and things like that, it's me getting to know, okay, I know he has two daughters. Let me ask about the daughters. What are they doing? What are they interested in? Let's have a conversation about that. Um, if it's talking to a player, well, let me get to know mom and dad too. Let me have a conversation with your sister. Um, I remember the first time I interviewed Donovan Mitchell and he was at Louisville. He was coming off of coach had really just sat him down, took him out of the starting lineup. And we were having a conversation about how he overcame that adversity. And he was saying, well, it was my mom or it was my sister. And my sister was just text me one day. I was like, you're not playing like my brother normally does. And I'm like, I need to talk to this sister. Um, and so now, you know, I've had conversations with mom. Um, when we were at All Star in Chicago. I had a conversation with his sister. And I think that's how you build relationships, just making sure that people know that you are there, not just to have a conversation about the game, but to also have conversations um, about who they are. What are the type of jobs you should be looking for after graduating with your degree? You know, I think that depends on the person. So if you strictly want to be on air, I think it's important to try to look for jobs that are on air um, so you can hone in that skill. But that doesn't mean that you have to go straight into television. You could be doing digital media. There's a lot of different places that you can go where you could still be getting on-camera work. Now, that being said, my first job out of college was working for basically a website. I worked for IMG or International Sports Properties, which was bought by IMG, and we controlled the radio and the website for the University of Georgia. So literally all I was doing um, was being a digital reporter for football practices. We would go to football practice. We would shoot the free periods. Literally, I would have a camera and shoot the free period, then wait until it ended because you couldn't watch the middle part of the practice, come back and interview whoever they would make available and create what we called a practice report. Um, I would do our digital coaches show for women's basketball. So I would sit down with Coach Landers and have, you know, a 30 minute conversation with him about the last week of games. And we would just post it online. I did radio for volleyball matches, did radio for um, women's basketball games. And so there's just different ways to get into it. I don't think you should pigeonhole yourself to just one thing, but I think you should be thinking about all the different ways that you can get on camera and have opportunities. There are plenty of ways to get into sports journalism. And I really hope that there's a lot of people out there that wanna be directors or producers, um, writers. We need more writers, people who are really good at not only writing scripts, but writing stories. So look into the industries that you really wanna work in and don't think that it all has to be on air. Advice for getting into ESPN, especially as a female in a male-dominated field. 
Well, here's how I've always taken being a female in an, a male dominated field. I stand out, <laughs> therefore people will remember me. Um, and therefore, honestly, maybe I'll be the one that they'll call on because they're like, well, who was that one girl who just kind of knew her stuff or just showed up eager and ready to work? Obviously you have to apply, um, but it's important too, to have some kind of cachet behind you. So if you're working at your university, make sure that everyone at your university knows that one day you wanna work for ESPN. You never know who might have a connection. I always say that closed mouths don't get fed. So if you're not telling people that you know that you're interested in being a producer or being a director, then how could they possibly help you? So let the athletic director know, let all of your professors know, um, let the student that's sitting next to you know, you don't know who his mom, dad, or parents know. So make sure that you're letting people know exactly what you wanna get into and build your network around you. College is such a great place to build a network. You're gonna be friends with these people for life. You're gonna be leaning on each other through thick and thin. Some people might drop out of journalism, some people might stay in it, but you will definitely find different ways to build relationships that are gonna last and ultimately help you. So just make sure that people know what you're interested in and build that network as you go. Let's see, if you're not getting the most out of your subject, how do you game plan mid-interview to change that? Great question. I think number one, when you step into an interview, make sure that you use a little bit of that time before the interview takes place to set the tone. So for me, even sometimes before Chris Fowler tosses down and I'm doing a post-game interview, I might say something to coach real quick and just kind of like gauge where he's at gauge how he feels. If he's taking a really deep breath or he's laughing at something, I'm like, what are you laughing at? Or what's so funny? Or how did that feel? Or that was a crazy ending just to hear what he has to say about what just happened. And that's going to help me create an even better first question. Now I hear what you're saying. If you're going through an interview and then all of a sudden you realize you're kind of getting stonewalled, sometimes it's okay to take a break, make a joke, most of the time these interviews are recorded, they're not necessarily live. So you can go to a different direction and then come back to it. But usually what I like to do when you have a sit down interview and you have a lot of time, obviously you're gonna write out most of your questions and you're gonna have an order in which you want to operate. So you might start out with a very big picture and then whittle down to a very specific incident. And that way you're allowing them to maybe get the butterflies out in the very beginning. And as you get closer and closer to the meat of the bone, the reason why you're there, why you're sitting across from them, they'll be comfortable and they'll be ready to have that conversation. So I definitely think that that's something that you have to think about. You have to be prepared for those moments. And sometimes you have to think on the fly. And that's where your those relationships that we just talked about might pay off a little bit more too. How do you bring out your individuality in your job? I think that if you're not being yourself, then you're not doing a good job because I don't know who said it, but it's a quote somewhere, but everybody else is already taken except Maria Taylor or for Ernie, it's Ernie Johnson. You can't show up on set and decide I'm going to be just like XYZ because ultimately the audience is going to be able to notice that you're faking or you're trying to be something that you're not. So I think that one of the most important things to do, and that could be in any job, is to make sure that you're being true to yourself because we are wired a certain way for a reason. We get jobs for a certain reason. We are there to have conversations with people and bring our whole selves to those conversations for a reason. And we're meant to be in meetings and have conversations for a certain reason. So I think that if you are not letting all of yourself come to work every day, then 
maybe that's not the job for you, or there's got to be a reason why you don't feel comfortable with it. Um, but I understand that in the beginning, as you're trying to find your way and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I act and what's the most appropriate and professional way to perform in this environment? Like that's all okay. But I just think if, especially if you're going to be on camera, that you have to make sure that you're trying to just be yourself, the best version of yourself you can possibly be and not trying so much to imitate somebody else because the audience can always tell. <laughs> okay, just committed to Grady as a transfer this morning. Congratulations and go dogs. You're gonna enjoy that. Um, is it possible to be a reporter for ESPN without a journalism degree? Absolutely. Um, I don't think that you have to, and that goes for most things in life, that you don't necessarily have to have a degree in journalism to become an elite writer or to become work in broadcast news. There are plenty of people that I'm sure have that story, and maybe they went to a college that necessarily didn't offer broadcast journalism or didn't offer journalism in general, so they had to go into a different degree program. The most important thing are the experiences, are the internships, and the network that you build. Those are the most important things. What is the one thing that I try to achieve every time I go on air? I think one is to entertain, one is to inform, and then I think to humanize. I think it's important to humanize the athletes and the coaches and the people that we're covering. And I want everyone that's sitting at home to think that they're just joining the, this great conversation between friends sitting on a desk. Or if I'm sideline reporting, that's when I'm like, all right, I'm here to humanize the individuals that I'm covering. I'm here to inform you. I'm here to maybe entertain and break up whatever the monotony might be of a, a game. These are all things that I hope to bring every time I'm on air. I don't know if it always happens, but more than likely, that's what I'm working on. Yes, that's all I'm trying to do. Yes, humanize, then analyze. You get, see, you get it. I think that's so important. Were you held back from journalism opportunities since you were a volleyball player in college? That's a great question. So for all of my college athletes out there, held back, no. I will always say that playing volleyball is the reason, like numero uno, why I am here today. I believe that the way that it made me work, the way that it made me think about the sport, everything that comes came from being an athlete, like I take with me everywhere I go. And also the first time I ever did on-camera work was for Comcast Sports South, and it was an Alabama volleyball match in Tuscaloosa. My mom had to drive me there, and I'm pretty sure no one else watched the match, but that was okay. But honestly, working in Olympic sports was how I broke into the broadcasting world. You know, you don't necessarily just jump out there and you're working in SEC football or you know, Division One basketball, a lot of times you're working in these sports that would be deemed smaller, but these are the sports that I love. Like to this day, my favorite event to cover is the women's basketball tournament, the Final Four. And I will say this, if you're a collegiate athlete, you probably don't have as much time to intern. You probably don't have as much time to um, go and do any kind of visit, site visits, or spend time networking, maybe as much time as your counterparts could. But I did in the spring of my senior year intern at Fox Sports South. So I would spend half of the week in Athens. And then all my off days, I would drive down to Atlanta and work there. Or on the weekends, I would go and cover a Hawks game. And really, you kind of have to build your own opportunities. I think that if you're an athlete, you have to take the opportunities that are given to you. And in a lot of ways, those are the, um, the network that you've built with your athletic association. So just tell everyone that you're interested in doing some internships and see or site visits and see what can come up. I would love to cover an Olympics. I don't know if that will happen, but I would love to. Best way to maintain the connections you make in your network. I kind of mentioned it before, but 
obviously just staying top of mind for people. I mean, there's two different ways you could go. You could be a total pest <laughs> or you could be something you, when you show up in someone's inbox, they're just happy to hear from you and try to find that balance. And again, I think a big part of that is not always asking someone for a job or always asking someone for an internship. Sometimes you should just email someone and say, hey, I got this new resume tape. Could you just take a look and send me critiques? I love getting emails like that because I'm like, this is a person that wants to be better. This is a person that's grinding and is interested in hearing maybe what I have to say. So sometimes it's just as simple as that. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, I'm just checking in, just saying, hey, don't really have anything else to say. Again, found this article or saw this game. I know that you're a huge Mets fan. And so thought I would say, hey, that's really important too. How did I know my university was the place for me? That's an interesting question because all the way up until I committed to Georgia, I thought I was going to go play basketball at Kentucky. So I don't know. It's a feeling that I got in my heart. I realized that I really wanted my family to be able to come and see me play. I knew that I wanted to be close to home. And I think too, just being around some of the people that I saw at Georgia, I was like, this, this is my spot. This is where I want to be. I never felt more at home than I did when I was in Athens, but it was a process because in my mind, I wanted to get away from home. I'm from Atlanta and I thought I wanted to be miles and miles away from my family. And then I realized I'm a homebody. So I just stayed close to home. Getting the best sound from college athletes and coaches. Well, I don't know if I get the best sound, but my advice would be when you're having, it all comes before, you know, the first time that you hear me talking to a quarterback or a point guard is not the moment that you see after the game. That relationship has been, I've been working on that since Thursday. I usually get to campus on Thursdays and I'm spending time with some of the players. I'm going to practice, waiting till practice ends, waiting to talk to some of the players, or I'm talking to them during the week on the phone if they're the away team. So a big part of that is just building some kind of chemistry or an understanding that I'm here to tell your story. Um, I'm here to support the broadcast of your game and telling everybody who you are and what you are about. So remember, a lot of that is built well beforehand. And so maybe you might be seeing it for the first time post game, but a big part of it is just investing in people or investing in coaches. And that goes a really, really long way. How do you go about pitching your story ideas? I love that. I think when you pitch a story idea, you almost have to vet it yourself. So in some ways you have to know who you would talk to, maybe you already have those conversations with people. So if you know you wanna talk about a player who, I don't know, saved the life of someone who was drowning, this is a real thing that's actually happened. I've had a football player who's done this before. Maybe you could reach out to the person who he saved. Then you reach out to the player's mom. And then you kind of just get quotes from everyone and be like, hey, this is a great story. I've already been working on it. You know, it's ready to roll. Uh, a lot of times if you just leave no one with room to ask questions or room to pick apart what your story is, then you'll be able to roll with it a little bit more. I know an example of being able to not necessarily pitch a story, but pitch an idea. When Holly Rowe and I went on a road trip this past year um, and we had great support from ESPN, a big part of that was just we kind of did it the year before and we always go to different camps during the preseason and we were like, hey, let's just do it together and like record some videos and put them on YouTube. And since we did it the year before and it had good traction the next year, they're like, sure, go do whatever you want. This is going to be great. We love the content. And so a lot of times, you know, being a self-starter, being able to go out and work on some of those stories yourself is going to be the reason why your story pitch gets accepted or the reason why people are drawn to whatever is the project that you're working on. What kind of sports stories do I think are missing in sports journalism? I don't know if I think that 
there are stories that are missing, but I know that I love the story and we talked about it that humanizes an athlete. I just love hearing them in first person explaining to you why it is they play the game or why it is they care about this or that. Um, I did an Instagram live with Devin Booker and he had just signed on as an ambassador for Special Olympics. And it's the backstory of that is like this extraordinary bond that he has with his sister who is a Special Olympics athlete. And those are the cool things that we don't necessarily always hear when we're like, oh yeah, but remember when Devin Booker dropped 63 or 69 or however many he had in that game. And we just are talking about his skill level, but you know, I, I just hope we continue to share those stories because they're just as important as what we're seeing on the court, I think. And in a lot of ways, our athletes are our role models, so we need to hear that. Um, did being a female in a male-dominated field make it harder for you to get a job? So again, I don't necessarily think so. I have always thought to use that to my advantage. I always try to think, okay, well maybe this is my opportunity to stand out. I think it's important to have female voices in the room. I think it's important. And I have a lot of friends, like the producer that I work with on NBA Countdown. Her name's Amina, and she's great and a powerful, strong woman that works in sports. And in a lot of ways, I'm just trying to use that to my advantage. I don't want to use it as a crutch or a reason why I feel left out. If anything, I will, I'm thinking of it as you know what, I need to be here, or there's a reason why this, this door has opened up for me, so let me make sure that I'm vocal or I'm strong or trying to remain powerful because at the end of the day, all the women who get in, which you could be in this chat right now, you're gonna be opening up the door for the next group, the next generation of women that wanna work in sports. <laughs> What's the best way for a non-former athlete to stand out? Like Reese Davis, I love Reese. Um, first of all, watch Reese. Watch how he just did the draft. Something you need to know about what happened during that virtual draft, he didn't know the timing of anything. So like when the picks were coming in, you know, it was something that was very, you couldn't control. It was uncontrollable. There wasn't a clock that you could just sit there and watch. But he had a constant producer in his ear. He was dealing with, you know, half of his analysts weren't even in the studio with him. But he was so prepared. He had so much information. He knew if he needed to talk for exactly 12 seconds, he was going to have a tidbit to give you for 12 seconds. He is the most prepared human being I have ever been around. And that's what makes him a great analyst or a great host. But also he has this great personality that brings people along with him. So you need to have that captain mentality. You need to be able to be the last one that's working. He's always the last one that's in the office for college game day, putting together his scripts. You gotta be the first one and the last one out. And he was all of those things, absolutely. Ooh, continuing to practice your craft during this time. I like that because I think that you all have this amazing, amazing tool. It's called Twitter, it's called Instagram, it's called the internet. So you could turn your phone on right now. And I mean, maybe not Twitter live, but you could be recording a report. You could go to, you could get on the phone with your athletic director in high school and see how they're handling dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Find out how, what sports banquets are taking place. Reach out to some of the seniors that you know that are not gonna have a season. Are they gonna come back for next season? Make your own package. You guys have these extraordinary tools at your disposal and it comes in the form of an iPhone, it comes in the form of an iPad, it comes in the form of a laptop. 
you can create your own um, individual resume tape right now. You have all the things that you need. And a lot of times you, you might not even need the number of a coach or whatever. You can get on Instagram, you can follow people, you can get on your athletic association's website. Like I said, all of the emails are literally posted and everyone is kind of sitting at home trying doing the right thing. So there's much more time on their hands. So I think you should get out there. Get out there, try to find ways to create your own packages, tell your own stories and do your own news because you can most certainly do it and just do it from your own social handle. And when we get back in school, when we get back to something that seems a little bit more normal, then maybe you can pitch those stories to your journalism class or the school's website or XYZ. What separates an average sideline reporter compared to an outstanding one? I won't do the separation, but I'll tell you what, I would think makes a good sideline reporter or what I think is the most important um, aspects of sideline reporting. And the person that I'm going to give you to watch, I'm serious, just get online and go to YouTube and watch games that this person has worked. Holly Rowe. <laughs> okay. Holly Rowe, Michelle Tafoya. I think they're dope. I was watching one of the old finals games and Michelle Tafoya is working. Ray Allen goes to back to the locker room and I think he's got his eye poked. And every moment that someone comes back and walks past Michelle, she's like, the head trainer just walked by and his name is blah, blah, blah. And then the head eye doctor just walks by and his name is blah, blah, blah. Like she had every single fact figure and note that you could have about the situation that was taking place that no one else could have access to but her because she's literally standing in the tunnel by the Celtics, lo Celtics locker room. She has that for you. A sideline reporter, there are the eyes and the ears of the entire football game. Your analyst and your play-by-play play are usually up in the stands or and if it's a basketball game obviously they're sitting right next to um they're sitting on the sideline but there's things that they can't hear they can't be in the huddles they don't know you know if someone scurries off to the side and goes to the locker room real quick they might not always know that that's happening and so you have to be that person but in order to be good at it like michelle was in that moment she knew who those people were she obviously had relationships. She knew who the eye doctor was, who the head trainer was, who the team doctor was. She was able to give you all of that information in that moment. Holly Rowe is able to do the same thing. She humanizes the athletes very well. She knows any and everything you could ever want to know. There's plenty of times when I'm preparing for a game and I know that Holly just had Baylor and I'll call her up and say, hey, what was the last storyline that you noticed or what's the most important takeaway that you had from the game? Because she's so good about understanding what's relevant, what's important, the context in which everything is happening to those athletes, those coaches and those players. And she's just ready to rock and roll when something goes right or left. And that's what makes a great sideline reporter. You have to be able to think on your feet because obviously nothing is scripted. Nothing is scripted in a game. <laughs> yes, collaboration. <laughs> Basically, get you a sideline reporter friend that is great at their job, and then they'll make you look good. Thanks, Holly. I appreciate you. <laughs> Who can you talk with on the sidelines? Where can you go? Good question. I'm Because, again, when I first started working games, I didn't know anything. So, um, okay, there's a code, there's a box, obviously. It's usually painted off where the team can be in. You, as a sideline reporter, cannot go into that box. Most teams now have tents where they pull them up if there's an injury. So you're not allowed to, like, peek into the tent or try to figure out what's going on in the tent. And as far as who you can talk to, it just depends on the school. Some schools will say, hey, this is our head athletic trainer. If you have a question about an injury, allow him to assess the injury first and then get his attention and he'll come and talk to you. 
sometimes there's a liaison, there's a sports information director on the sideline with you. And you'll be able to, you know, tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, I just saw so-and-so go off to the locker room. What's the update there? Sometimes they're up in the booth. And so they can't actually, you can't tap them, but you can text them during a game. And sometimes there's just, you know, and a special assistant to the coach that will help grab coach for you or wrangle him. And so these are all conversations that you have before the game ever starts so that you find out, okay, what do I do just in case something goes wrong? Um, I think the most important thing in those situations is to make sure that you're, you have a plan going into it. You got to know that there's an x-ray machine in the stadium. You got to know where the player's going to go if they um, are seriously injured, what hospital will they be taken to? And that way you can kind of follow up on stories that go like that. But there's always someone usually that you can speak to that will help give you a little bit of insight. And sometimes there's just relationships you build over time. So they'll come up to you and be like, hey, coach said this in the locker room. I'm like, yes, that's always great. Um, are reporting regulations different by conference? It's really a team by team basis, I would say. So every every coach has a different rule. So some coaches are absolutely no injury reports at all. Just use what you observe. And then some schools will say, yeah, we don't mind giving an injury report. And we'll let you know if they're coming back. And some schools will just say, we'll just let you know, likely to return um, or will not return. And that's all we're gonna tell you. So it kind of just depends. And every school is completely different. You get, to, you get to figure it out over time. And then if they get a new coach, then maybe that changes. Advice for getting ahead of others. I think one thing that we have to stop <laughs> telling ourselves is we're almost like crabs in a barrel and we have to beat somebody. It's like focus on your lane. So whatever you wanna be doing, it's almost like you have to have blinders on and comparison is the thief of joy. So if you're worried about what someone else is doing to your right or your left, you might trip over the hurdle in front of you, right? So just be very, very focused on your lane and being great at it. So that's being informed, that's building your relationships, that's being reliable, that's being the person that every single time someone calls, you pick up the phone and say, yeah, absolutely, I'm down, I'll be there because that's what's going to ultimately separate you from everyone else. But don't let that be your main goal. Let your main goal be, I'm trying to be the best version of Maria that I could possibly be. Okay. I'm trying to be the best version of whoever's watching right now can possibly be that way. I cannot be denied. Um, and if you're just better than Susan, then that might not be the best. You want to be the best version of you just every single time you set out to do something. So I don't know if you guys know this, but this year I was supposed to give the commencement speech at the University of Georgia. And I was so excited about it being between the hedges. And I know the graduates were certainly excited. And, you know, I just want to talk for a second to any of the seniors that are sitting on this chat or are sitting anywhere really and just wondering what's going to happen to them. And throughout this corona pandemic, there's like one story that keeps popping up in my head. So there's a guy named Trevor Moad, and he is a mental conditioning coach that so many different schools have used. So Alabama football has, has used him. Um, the University of Georgia football has used him. And Russell Wilson, you know, there's quarterbacks that work with him. There's CEOs that work with him. And he actually came to a retreat that I put on in the summers, and he told this amazing story to all of our athletes. So there's this guy, his name is Lex Gillette. And basically Lex was eight years old when he was in the tub and he tries to open his eyes and he realizes it's getting really hard to see. Mom takes him to the doctor, detached retinas. So he has 10 different surgeries. The doctors are finally like, you know what? There's nothing that we can do. And 
he goes completely blind. So Lex was this super athletic kid. He always was. And once he started to figure out, okay, spatial awareness, how to use a cane, that he could still play with his friends. He was really good at push-ups and certain things that he could do. He realizes that he's pretty good at long jump. He's just good at track. So he always works with a buddy. Someone stands at the end of the sand pit, literally stands at the end of the sand pit. First, they get his shoulder straight. Then they move to the end and they tell him to clap and they say, fly, fly, fly. So imagine someone standing on the end of a sand pit and your eyes are completely closed and you're expected to do a triple jump into a sand pit. If you are inches to the left, you could end up on concrete. If you're inches to the right, you could end up on concrete. But he runs straight towards that voice. And I just remember Trevor telling this story and it's so unique because, you know, we're in a time where we don't know what's coming ahead of us, right? Like we have absolutely no clue what we're running towards. We have no clue what's going to be on the other side of this jump of this leap of faith we're probably all going to have to take. So now is the great time to evaluate what the voice is that's at the end of your sandpit that's saying fly, fly, fly. So is that voice the fact that you want to make a lot of money? Maybe that's the thing that you're blind leap of faith jumping towards. Is that voice that you want to help as many people as possible? And that's what you're fly, fly, flying towards. Um, is that voice that you want to be the best version of you using the strengths that you were given by God um, and moving in the world the way that you believe is your purpose? Fly, fly, fly. Now is the time to figure out what that is. Um, we're having a lot of quiet time. These are a lot of moments where we're around the people that really love us. These are times to ask questions, to ask your mom, what have I always been good at? What have you thought that I would be good at? Ask dad, ask your brother, ask your sister, ask people that you trust, ask your counselors, ask your coaches, uh, and see what they say. Ask yourself, listen to that inner voice and figure out where do I best see myself using my talents? You know, what would make me the most happy? What would give me the most peace in a time like this? And go forward from there. And no one's voice is gonna be the same. Your fly is not gonna sound like my fly, uh, but at the end of the day, we're all gonna take a jump at some point. We're gonna jump towards something. And the cool thing about Lex's story is that he ended up winning three consecutive Paralympic silver medals. And again, he did it blind faith, just going towards a voice that was saying, fly, 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 fly. And that was his goal. There was a time, there was one time, and you can look it up, Lex Gillette, where he jumps, triple jumps, and hits the cement. So he doesn't go straight towards the voice and crashes, crashes and burns. Could have given up completely, but didn't. And then comes back on the scene and again, wins those three silver medals. So I really believe that that is a story and it just keeps coming up. Like I keep thinking about it all the time. It's just, if you're not going towards whatever that purpose is that's right in front of you, then you might crash and burn off to the side. If you do, that's okay. Failure is actually an option and it happens all the time. I went through three auditions. I, I auditioned at NBA TV. I could have been working with Ernie, but I didn't. I sat down with uh, Dennis 3D, Scott, and we had a whole conversation. I did highlights and I was told I wasn't ready. I was told I wasn't good enough. I it auditioned at MLB Network and I was terrible. I'm not good at baseball. I was told I wasn't ready. I was told I wasn't good enough. I inter or I um, auditioned at ESPN in Bristol. And I still remember because I ran into Jay Harris in the basement. He said, I'm going to watch your audition. And I'll let you know how you did. And afterwards, I was told I wasn't ready and I was told I wasn't good enough. And Jay Harris said, 
you are going to make it, but now is not the time. And just know that there's plenty of times along my journey where I feel as though I really could have given up and believed that I would never be good enough. It's okay to know in your heart that I'm not ready for network television right now, but I always thought to myself, I'm going to just be great at this regional television. I'm going to be great at digital marketing or broadcasting or whatever I'm working in in that moment. And eventually when my time comes, I will be ready to fly, fly, fly. And that goes to every single senior that's sitting at home, you know, continue to do what is making you happy, continue to, to push towards those goals and remember, run your race. The hurdles that are in front of you are uniquely yours. And if you start to get distracted and turn your head a little bit, then you will, you will fall. Okay. And all our goals is just to finish the race as strong as we can in the time that was set for our lives. Okay. It's not about anybody else. But I'm excited for all of you guys from the high schoolers that have chimed in all the way up to the seniors that are graduating this year. You've got a bright future ahead of you. Like <clears throat> our whole country is in your hands because you're going to be the ones that are running it one day. And I'm just excited that you guys are going to be the ones that are pushing us through this entire issue. So I hope everyone's staying safe at home. Give a hug to your family. Enjoy this time as much as possible. Um, and make sure that you're just you're just praying for others and being there for others. Now's the time to make sure that we're checking in with one another as much as possible. It was dope checking in with you guys. I hope you have an amazing weekend. And EJ, you did it. You're so dope for this journalism class. I think one day I'm going to be a teacher because of you. That's what I'm going to do. In like 30 years, when I can't get on any more planes, I'm just going to go to Athens and be a journalism teacher. So I hope you guys take my class. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, guys. Thank you for tuning into this episode of EJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.